Hi everybody, thanks for tuning in. This is the um, fourth podcast, um, and as you can see from the title, the kind of subject today is going to be kind of centred around brushes. Um, so it's not going to be like a jazz brushes thing. Uh, it's going to actually just be talking about brushes, just generally the thing of... Of, um, of why we get into playing brushes, some different approaches to brushes, why I got into brushes, um, why I find it sometimes quite um, strange how people sort of don't don't want to get into brushes or don't sort of consider brushes, uh, and also why that's sometimes completely obvious, you know, because of you know obviously styles of music that people play. Um, so. Yeah, but I just wanted to just start off by saying thanks for um, thanks to people who have listened to the previous episodes. I've had some really nice, positive uh, comments and feedback about them, which is great. A lot of people have enjoyed them. Um, I kind of view these podcasts really as a as a way of sort of it's like archiving, really, isn't it? Archiving just your own sort of thoughts, your own, you know, what you've been sort of going through and uh, almost when you're talking about things in this way to the kind of, you know, to the uh, to the third party, so to speak, to the imagined listener as you sit here recording now, um, trying to think of somebody actually listening to this and um, how you sort of communicate your ideas. Uh, it, it's interesting how when you talk about something that you've been thinking a lot about or maybe have talked about in a different way when you're actually you know in the room with somebody else and help teaching them or or just explaining something when you're sort of reflecting on that and then recording it in this way it's quite a fascinating process I've, I've really kind of enjoyed it so far um and just, just to let you know what's coming up in the next i think next three or four episodes um so I've had some yeah some really positive comments about the foundations episode um and it's interesting how some different people I've spoken to have listened to that episode have interpreted uh that title and the kind of the um the kind of meaning behind it uh, which has been really positive and really interesting and has been surprising even to me you know because uh, you, you know, you set out with an idea of explaining like a concept or something that you, you've been working on or whatever, you kind of imagine that it's coming across in that way, you know, within those kind of, you know, within your own boundaries, so to speak. And actually, um, a couple of people have spoken to somebody who, I was, who I'm teaching at the moment at college, um, really good young student, um, at... Uh, kind of thought about it in a different way and um, it was really interesting to have those conversations with, with those two different people about kind of what they'd got out of it and what it had sort of meant to them. Um, especially sort of this thing about the way in which we connect uh, to root, how, you, how we connect to rudiments, you know, so whether you come, uh, come at rudiments um, from, like, from the page, from having learned them and then you kind of assimilate them as you listen to other players or 
a little bit more the way I the way I came to Rudiments, where I was listening to sort of players and trying to work out what they were doing, and then I was introduced to Rudiments, and suddenly it was like, ah, okay, ah, this sounds like the way into this, the way to really kind of understand this vocabulary, you know, and, and the techniques or the technical approach behind playing them well, you know. So, yeah, it was really interesting. So I decided to do, um, kind of inspired by, uh, by the idea of the foundations thing being actually a bigger, being a, maybe a bigger topic than, than I'd even thought myself. Um, I've got, I'm going to do a couple of other episodes which are about, they're just titled under the thing of Foundations 2 and Foundations 3. Um, part two is about the flam, which I've been going on, and I've been going on about this on every podcast, and I, I will get around to doing a podcast on this. And Foundations Two is really about the flam. It's really it's linked very closely to to the to the to the previous podcast, podcast three, uh, just about foundations and about that that kind of um, finding exercises that um, help you learn to play rudiments before you've played rudiments, pre-rudimental study exercises. And really about thinking about technique and about how um, how the hands and also the feet can work. Um, and the flam certainly links um, to that and links to some, some definitely some stuff about time. Um, I will do a podcast about time at some point, but I haven't kind of felt the need to get there yet. Um, time is it's almost... The time thing is like number one. You know, if you're going to get into playing the drums, the first thing that one should be able to do if you're playing the drums, just on a very sort of fundamental level, really, not not on a not on a level where you've maybe developed as an artist and you've gone into other areas, but just that first thing of playing the drums is being able to play in time. So a lot, a lot of the time, I think a lot of us we we take it for granted. We don't even talk about it. But actually, there's some um, there's some really interesting things to talk about in relation to sort of concepts of time or, or, or where, time awareness. Something I've um, done a lot of work on, um, especially in the last five to ten years. Um, uh, I. I've definitely improved my time playing, uh, particularly in the last five years. But the last ten years have been quite a quite a change for me. Uh, in in the years before that, I was doing a lot of gigging, and I wasn't really doing a lot of practicing, and got into quite a lot of bad habits, really, in a lot of ways. And um, and it was kind of great around two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, when I when I kind of got into teaching at a you know, that kind of level which I really enjoyed. I mean, I've always enjoyed teaching on every level, but there's kind of like, I think I'm a little bit little bit nerdy about drums and a bit nerdy about technique and things. And, you know, when you kind of go going off on one, a bit like in these podcasts, really, when you kind of go off on with concepts and ideas, you you know, you, I think you lose the majority of the audience quite quickly, but the, the, the people that are really into maybe some of the more kind of nerdy, bespoke... Um, details of, of those subjects they they kind of you know they 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 carry on listening and, and and actually maybe want to partake in the discussion you know which is which is really interesting so um so yeah i'm going to do thing about time but that's going to come next well the next uh, three podcasts or four podcasts will all be recorded i think i'm going to do one next week before and then I'm, and then i'm uh, going away on holiday 
for about nine days to um, right up to the Arctic Circle, which would be really nice. Um, for, yeah, nine days up to Tromso and then back down to Oslo for a couple of days and then come back to the UK and sort of straight back to work, really, back to college, um, get into our assessment season, which is interesting. Um, students have been working really hard on on some of their technical stuff, transcriptions and technical exercises for their uh, technical assessment and reading and stuff. So that's kind of all coming in early January. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try and record Foundations 2 next week, which will be about the flam. Foundations 3 is going to be about... Uh, this is one of my favourite subjects. And as actually, as I was, I was in a discussion about some of the other foundation stuff with... Um, with a friend of mine, uh, I realised that this actual idea or this concept or this approach to sort of playing actually really linked to the idea of kind of under the umbrella of foundations, you know. Um, and it's this thing about setting the standards, setting a goal, um, setting a level within your own playing. Uh, so I don't want to go too much into it now, but it's, it's a really interesting subject. It's one I use a lot in teaching. It's one that that students find very easy to understand uh, because it, because they essentially create the boundary within which um, within which they're kind of using that thing as a barometer as to as to what the sort of minimum level of uh, playing should be. So yeah, and then there's another episode I'm going to do. Um, an ex-student of mine, uh, very talented uh, young player who's down in London now, uh, asked me to do a an episode on like kind of performance, maybe performance anxiety a bit, or performance kind of um, it's like self being self-conscious when we're performing, or um, just that thing of of being of being comfortable when you're performing, or or maybe people are struggling a bit with that, especially as they're kind of developing and getting into harder music, maybe or getting into music they're not don't understand so well, and just the I think this may maybe applies a bit more to the to maybe a bit more to the jazz world than maybe other styles of music, and I'll talk a little bit about actually what a lot of jazz players can maybe learn from. Um, session musicians or even even hobbyists actually um, just about about feeling um, comfortable and accepted within a situation you know and I've got a lot of thoughts about that some stuff I've, I talk about with students but I mean I don't feel in any way qualified and I'll you know absolutely put it as a as a uh, disclaimer, in no way qualified as, as a psychologist in any way. That's a completely farcical kind of notion. But um, through experience, for sure, there are things that um, that we can all share with each other that are actually from you know real life experiences. They're not they're not from books or from theories. They're just real life experiences. And and uh, it's interesting when people share their, those kind of experiences with each other and people that you may think play really amazing and really well and are super self-confident people, you know, and then they kind of tell you all these different kind of inner games that have gone on in their heads about 
kind of being accepted and feeling worthwhile on the bandstand and feeling self-conscious and all that kind of stuff, you know, and uh, self-awareness and listening as well is a big part of it. That thing about what you focus on when you listen, there's kind of a lot to do with that. And uh, yeah, I've got a couple of quite useful tips, I think, which have helped people just to sort of focus on different things while they're playing, to sort of break down those um, those kind of quite quite actually quite simple thought patterns that can happen when we're you know we're playing and we're not in a great headspace, you know. And uh, it's not it's not heavy stuff at all. It's uh, but people talk about it a lot. Uh, so it's it's and, and something I've talked about a lot. Something I've I've tried to overcome and. Um, I'm still sort of overcoming as well, you know. So it's kind of one of those things we're always continually working on. So, um, so yeah, that's what's coming up. Sorry, it's a bit of a long, garbly intro there. But, um, yeah, I want to talk about brushes today. Um, the There's the kind of the sound of brushes, the world of brushes. You know, these, um, there's the Ed Thigben book, which I have somewhere close to hand. It's called the what's it called now? I was gonna have it, I was gonna actually get it out and I can't find it now. Um, but it's uh, it's one of those uh, amazing books that um, is is kind of like an essential. I think it's called The Sound of Brushes. I'm just trying to find it. Give me a second. Where is it? Here it is Ed Thigpen, The Sound of Brushes. And Ed Thigpen was a, was a phenomenal brush player um, absolutely amazing kind of sound world and go and check him out with Oscar Peterson um, Vinel Fournier as well was someone I got into in the last kind of 10 years played with Ahmad Jamal um, wonderful virtuosic brush player really it's the thing with brushes is it's getting into the sound of brushes, you know, and, and that the thick pen title really says it all for me, you know. Um, so, kind of where to start with this? I was gonna t I was gonna start with um, the story of why you know why I got into into brushes, but I was I've actually was thinking about this just um, just twenty minutes ago or so, and actually. It's the thing of we think about the sticks and when we play with sticks, and then you know people sort of they want a softer sound. You might be working with somebody, and this is this is predominantly outside the world of jazz. Um, but people say, oh, "I want a softer sound. I want to get in something that's more gentle," and the sticks just aren't cutting it in this song or you know in this recording or something. And sometimes that can be like our own technical limitation that we can't physically play quite enough with sticks um, without with enough in, you know intent, you know, because there's the thing of you can play really quietly with sticks and everything just sounds like it really doesn't mean anything. It hasn't doesn't have any intent behind it. And yeah, and and also we can we can work on techniques to play with weight with sticks but play very gently you know so everything does have intent behind it and that's a whole separate subject area but if we're in a situation we need some quick fixes and the sound world of the brushes uh, sorry the sticks isn't working people will say oh can we try some of those hot rods you know lightning rods 
you know, those kind of things. I've got like so many different pairs of these, of these um, these rods, you know, because they're not stick, they're not a brush, they're a kind of world in between. And uh, and then there's like the broomsticks, you know, the, with these these things that have these very soft fibres where they're really bunched together, the big bunches, and people make their own bunches, and there's that there's that kind of and there's a lot of like a lot of bottom end in that sound, you know, um, and different sizes of bunches or, or broomsticks, you know. Um, I, I, I tend to use the broomstick stuff because uh, I think it's the Promark stuff, I think it's the stuff I use. And then there's like the kind of um, the plastic or nylon brushes. Now, this is where we're starting to get into a different sound world now. Because uh, the thing that you can now do with the nylon brushes that you you can't do so much with the, with you know the broomsticks or particularly the hot rods and the lightning rods and all the different sorts of rods you can get is we can't utilize this thing this this lateral motion this you know this sideways sound that the what what we what's been happening before that is this you know this vertical sound. So I always, when I'm talking, when I'm teaching brushes, I'm always, I'm always talking about vertical and lateral motion. You know, um, I tend to go on about that a lot um, because once we get into the brushes, we suddenly have this whole world of lateral motion. It's like we can almost play entirely laterally or sideways, side to side, you know, with a swishing sound across the head. We can almost play without any vertical motion if, if we choose to. Um, but we tend to we tend to play all our, our stuff based in a combination of of the two things. And uh, and it's funny where the, the when you get into kind of brushes it's stylistically musically maybe in the studio or something it, it, it a lot of people assimilate the brush thing with jazz you know they don't they don't associate the brush thing with other styles of music and actually it's in it's in lots of different styles of music lots of styles of music that I've played over the years uh, I've done a lot of recording with brushes away from jazz and in a kind of pop. Um, you know, singer-songwriter, kind of maybe sort of slightly country-based music or folky or Americanary-based music um, because people want this lateral sound. Um, it seems to... It seems to connect um, the groove of the music and the emotion of the music together. The brushes seem to have that unique way of, of connecting those two worlds very simply because you have this kind of sideways motion where you're you know you're playing across the surface of something and that and that it's a really fascinating thing that um, that lateral motion thing about how we learn to play laterally and so this kind of brings me on to you know why or how I got into brushes and it was a funny one because when I was when I was getting into playing the drums, and uh, yeah, I went into a, this a little bit in the first podcast. Uh, I was just talking a little bit about the history of I, how I got into the music I got into. Um, there was just always an expectation that I had to play the brushes. 
Um, and it was nothing to do with being in the brass band that I was in. It was nothing to do with the music I was playing and the groups I was playing. I used to have a little band. Um, we were playing like tunes that were a bit like, you know, the Who and the Jam, stuff like that. That kind of British rock of the uh, late 60s, 70s rock kind of sound, you know. And we had a little, little trio and uh, this guy used to sing. We, we wrote some of our own music as well, but the the... the the vibe of that music was was rocky, you know. We were, um, it was, you know, sticks and, and kind of straight up and down music, 4-4, four, four. <clears throat> maybe a bit of 12-8, a bit of 12-8 rock, but the, the brushes thing was never on the agenda, you know, that sound world was never on the agenda. But there was something about l learning to play the drums was also learning to play with brushes, if it, there was just all the drummers that I knew at that time when I was at when I was at uh, comprehensive school before I went to music school, when I was fourteen. Um, all the drummers in school, the the ones that were the, the, the good drummers in the brass band, the people I was hanging around with, and they all played brushes. You know, the, there was just this thing: you play, you know, you're going to learn to play the drums. You 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 learn to play with sticks, and you buy some brushes, and you learn to play with brushes, and you go and watch people, listen to records, and go and um, go and see some gigs if you can, or whatever. But it was a really weird thing at that time because there was very little. Um, well, there was no internet. 90, we're talking about 1983 here, so obviously no internet. There were records, vinyl records and cassettes. There was obviously there was the music on the radio, which we as a family used to record the top forty every every week. But there was not there was very little of that music that had brushes in it. Um and there was very occasionally going to see gigs, you know. Um and on the television from time to time there was there was uh Programs like this program we used to have called the Old Grey Whistle Test on BBC, which was uh, had some amazing had amazing music on it of, of, from all over the world. Uh, it was a brilliant, brilliant show. And uh, and then there was occasionally, you know, uh, some jazz programs on BBC Two, or sometimes when Channel Four started. Channel Four was quite a good sort of more left field channel that that put more jazz on than the other channels. Um, but there was always kind of an arty side of the BBC. But really it was mainly through watching my peers, you know, the, the people around me that were playing. And uh, and then when I started having drum lessons, I suddenly realised that this kind of approach that I'd been taking to brushes was actually quite close to being, you know, the right approach. Um, just kind of instinctively, really, because because the, you can obviously learn to play like you know vertically. It's like doubles and paradiddles and things, and playing patterns. You know that kind of thing. But all this. All this kind of lateral stuff was 
kind of almost instinctive, but I, you know, I'd been watching some friends, and there's a couple of people that I was, I was at school with when I was just getting into playing. When I was around 12 or 13 years old, that were, that were good drummers, you know. So I was able to watch them a bit, and then just I was listening to, I started listening to Buddy Rich, and and um, me and my mate. He used to go to Manchester uh, at the weekend. We used to go to these record fairs and we used to find these kind of bootleg albums. There's a label called Europa Jazz, which some people listening to this may, may remember. Europa Jazz was a dodgy, I think it was an Italian label. And they were, they were basically, it, it was bootlegs, you know, they were, they were, they'd recompiled tracks from CDs, uh, sorry, from, from records. There's no CDs at that time, records, and put them on, made these kind of, you know, these records of their own that had these kind of artist title featuring blah, 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 you know. And one of the ones, I remember I got this, because I was always looking for Buddy Rich, so I bought a lot of Buddy Rich um, kind of originals, uh, late 60s, 70s stuff, like The Machine, Big Swing Face, had a couple of different versions of that. and um, Still got all that vinyl. Uh, sadly, a lot of it got destroyed uh, in 2015 with a flood. But the actual vinyl, the, the records themselves, still still um, survived. The, the sadly, the sleeves haven't. But um, there was an album, the Europa Jazz album, which was a live at Buddy's place kind of compilation, which was the the, the club that Buddy Rich used to have. And on this um, on this record. It was just these sort of random tracks, you know, it was like a version of Chameleon and things like that live with Steve Marcus playing sax, but you know, like Anthony Jackson on bass and kind of just these random collection of people that used to go, I think, to his club and play and hang out with him and stuff. And um, But I used to be really into this one track. It was, um, I think it was, it was Kenny Barron, Anthony Jackson... And Buddy Rich playing uh, Billy's Bounce. I think it was Billy's Bounce. Um, but it was, anyway, it was just, it was a, it was a, a nice sort of tempo, bluesy, jazz swingy sort of tune that that Rich played on Brushes. And one of the things about Buddy Rich, which I think a lot of people don't appreciate or haven't appreciated, um, is he was a phenomenal brush player. And he, he often played, for me, he often played more simply when he played brushes. He he played, um, like when he when he played with sticks, he was so technically amazing and it was always stuff going on if you watch him, you know, you watch him playing. It like really swings, but he's, there's a lot of busyness, especially in the left hand, a lot of it's disguised because he plays so wonderfully quietly and he's kind of just subdividing below the dynamic of the band, so you can't really hear it. But um, there was a lot going on, you know. And then when you hear him with brushes, it sounds, for me, just like like a quintessential small group jazz drum player, you know, which is not what he sounded like when he played big band. Um, it sounded very different than that, you know. But the, his brushes playing, I always thought, and this was the thing that always used to fascinate me with brushes, was how it could make somebody so technically phenomenal as Buddy Rich was, and actually still is, even in this world today. You know, the way his hands and feet worked were was still still be regarded as as absolutely world class now. You know. 
Um, but the way he would play brushes and his approach to music and, and how much how much simpler he played. And then there's this thing of because he really he he had a great swing, Buddy Rich. You know, he had he had a great swing feel, um, and that would transfer to the brushes. But it would be again like this simpler way of playing, and that always fascinated me. And then I always liked the um, liked playing ballads. I like this this idea of of uh, being expressive and creative with the brushes, you know. And I came a little. I think I became a little bit unstuck with that as I got into my kind of early thirties and whatever, and started to really lose track of the purpose, but. We could talk a bit about that in a bit, because there's a, there's a kind of nice natural evolution in all that, you know. But uh, but yeah, there was always this kind of this fascination with the brushes. For me, just a, an expectation of the brushes, you know, of, of 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 you know, you play the brushes. If you're going to play the drums, you play with brushes. You don't just play with sticks. You play with brushes. And as I got older. I realised that that actually wasn't the case, you know, and 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 it, and it's you know it shouldn't be the case. No, I'm, you know, I'm definitely not saying that that people should play the brushes. Everyone who plays a drum should be able to play with the brushes. But I realised first of all that a lot of people don't really get into playing the brushes when they're young, and and they are kind of awaiting instruction almost. I mean, my experience of teaching. Uh, talented 18 plus year old students uh which have been doing now for yeah like the past 14 whatever years um in the same place and year on year i have this conversation with large groups of uh, first year um undergrad students you know they're basically all roughly around the age of 18 all talented, all have quite a lot of stuff together, all have a different vibe going on. And they all pretty much, I'd say 85% of them, all have this thing with brushes. It's like their immediate thing is, yeah, yeah, I can't really play with brushes, you know. Uh, and a lot of them actually can, but they don't believe that they can because I think they're waiting for... Uh, they're just waiting to have a conversation with somebody who's going to say, well, this is my approach. And then they realise instinctively that they've kind of, they've found the way into it already, you know, because it's, I mean, it, it literally isn't rocket science. Um, you know, there's two things you can do with it. You can play vertically or or laterally. And people will just experiment you know, just experiment with that sound world of playing sideways, playing texturally, you know, whatever. Um, and then they go and find a teacher, a mentor, a tutor, whichever whatever way you want, you want to think of it, and have that conversation of say, okay, where should I start with this? Um, and I normally say, well, let's let's pick up from where you are. You know, it doesn't feel like to me like you are starting with this. Um, what you might be starting with is your understanding of what you can already do. And that's quite different, isn't it? If you've, if you've never done anything before, then it's the beginning, you know. This is it. This is a new thing. Okay, wow, that's amazing. That's changed everything. That's a, what an amazing concept or blah, blah, blah. But 
often what I find with young players is that they have uh, quite a lot of ability, actually, but they really don't know what they're doing with it. They don't know actually how it how it's even work how what they're doing even works for them, you know. But yeah, I've, I've found it by sort of trial and error really, or by simulation by maybe what copying somebody. I mean, nowadays you can genuinely go on YouTube and pretty much find anything on brushes, you know. Um, so in one respect, the world we live in now is is very different than the world than the world I lived in. Um, but my my uh, my experience of how people learn now doesn't feel any different than how I learned then. You know, people are genuinely and generally looking for uh, to connect with another person, you know, in real life, not virtually, and check in. You know, this uh, that idea of is what I'm doing is it okay? Is it working? Uh, does it need tweaking or you know and then there's a conversation there isn't there it's very very simple so um yes yeah, i find that whole thing uh, very interesting um so that's kind of like that part of that part of um of discussion about brushes and, and a lot of that feels with the students I'm teaching, like it's tied to to jazz music. It's tied to uh, playing jazz, you know. And in some ways, I would say, learning to play jazz brushes can be very helpful in respect of just generally learning to play with the brushes. Simply because if I'm doing a jazz gig, I might be playing... Um, maybe 15 to 25 different styles of playing during the gig. Now, you know, if I'm playing um, a medium swing tune, I might just pick up the sticks and the band leader person who's, who's picked the tune or it's a specific arrangement they've got in mind, they'll go, oh, can you play with brushes, you know? And um, so that immediately uh, means that I that my kind of sound world, the sound world of what I'm doing is, um, is different than the brush sound world, uh, than the stick sound world, but we're now in the brush sound world. So suddenly we've got this. Or something like that, depending on the tempo. But and then depending on what happens in that music, the 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 sound world may evolve or change to sticks. May go back to brushes. Um, it may not. Um, but even in even in that, you, it feels sometimes like you're playing sort of two different styles almost because you're playing from brushes to sticks. Um, and then you maybe play on some other tunes, different different uh, tempos of swing and different, like a bluesy thing, which has a different kind of skip beat. You know, you may play an up tempo bebop sort of rhythm changes thing, which has a you know a certain way of approaching that music. Um, and then there may be uh, Latin styles, you know, and again the Latin styles. Some people in ask for the stick and the brush thing. 
So they want, you know, they want the left hand playing the clave with a stick and they want the right hand playing subdivision with the, um, you know, with the brush. So I'll kind of simulate, that's the other end of my brush, simulating a stick. Those kind of different sounds, you know, whatever. Um, again, you know, that's a that's a vertical and a lateral thing being played, and then that tune maybe itself may evolve to just to sticks. I tend to be I tend to play more with. I tend to if I'm playing Latin, I tend to like my preference is to play brushes just brushes 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 in both hands and then if it, if it's going to go to sticks it just goes to sticks yeah we may come back to brushes again but again it's like what's been so i'm drawing you know the picture i'm painting here for you and it's maybe familiar to a lot of you that that also play jazzes yeah we are required to play different styles and approaches to what we perceive as the same style, particularly swing, but also Latin, you know, within one gig. Then we've got the ballad, the, you know, the territory of ballads. And uh, this is where, you know, the brushes thing is, it's my experience of playing ballads on gigs is 95% of the time we play exclusively with the brushes. Very occasionally, uh, it's nice to maybe go to a ride, like a ting, 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 like a ride thing maybe behind a solo or on an outhead or something, just to lift the music a bit, you know. Um, well, the ballad thing is fascinating with brushes, and, um, and I'll get I'll get to talk about all those things in a minute because I want to talk a little bit about uh, the circles we create with what I think of as like the accompanying hand, and then the the kind of the time based hand. You know, if you're left handed, you tend we tend to play uh, the circles with the right hand and with the time based stuff with the with the left hand, and if we're right handed, it's the opposite way around. I've I've also taught lots of left-handed drummers that play right-handed setup. They play right-handed kit, and they tend to play brushes as if they're right-handed, which is amazing. Which I find I'm always like, wow, that's like um, heavy. You know, they don't even uh, try. They don't even play left-handed brushes. They just play right-handed brushes because it, again, it's like, well, I've got the kit set up right-handed. I'm going to play, you know, the ride symbols on the right. The hi hats on the left. I'm playing right-footed bass drum, so I might as well just assimilate all that as a, as a right-handed person in in the hands, you know. And that's like a, that's you know that's amazing. Uh, but yeah, so you, anyway, I'll get onto some of that in a minute. But generally, the thing of of uh, this idea of being like the the multiple styles player has. Has has its kind of mainly its tradition in in playing jazz gigs. Um, there are some other sorts of gigs. Like you playing blues, you know, you do blues gigs, playing kind of you know, shuffle based twelve eight six eight or triplet based music. A lot of that. Um, 
there's different styles involved with that, but there's a kind of fundamental general approach to those sort of gigs. You know, a lot of it's about tempo-based or about how deep the skip beat is or slow trips and all that kind of stuff. Um, but on the jazz gig, yeah, we're, we're kind of expected to play all these different styles um, without rehearsal, you know, no prep. It's just there's an expectation if you're going to be on on the bandstand with with those musicians that you have you bring this experience to the bandstand that allows someone to communicate with you in a very very simple way and uh and then it's about interpretation and i'm going to do a whole separate podcast again next uh, next year at some point about that thing i get lots of questions about the swing about the swing thing on gigs and about am i playing the right way in swing you know, and uh, the truth is, is you've got to do a lot of research, you know, and, and it's some, it's research that I certainly don't feel like I'd, I'd done enough of and I certainly have done more of now. Now I'm sort of in my late 40s, but I still feel like I haven't done enough research to know all the answers to those questions because you can become really unstuck in certain situations, you know. We, we don't play, um, you know, like... Uh, like hard bop in certain situations or, or play really, you know, old school in certain situations. It's kind of knowing the stylistic base of the music about what sort of era playing, I call it, you know, what what era of swing playing is it, you know. And then uh, where's your skip beat, you know, what's the weight of your skip beat, things like that. Yeah, but anyway, I'm going to talk about that in a separate episode, which will be next year at some point. Um but yeah, so you're going to be playing with the brushes. I think that if you study some jazz patterns with the brushes, not exclusively, but quite a few jazz patterns with the brushes, it can be really helpful for you to just generally learn this lateral motion thing. Um, so one thing a lot of people start with, and I can talk briefly about, is about... The circles that we play with uh, what we, which was what I would call our um, sort of like our comping hand or our accompanying hand, whichever way you want to think about it. It's not exclusive that because I play I play these brushes patterns that are lateral in both hands and they're e they're equally lateral. As in uh, some are actually are more um, like the triplet thing. This one, one two three, one two three, one two three, one two three, one. That's ex that's actually more. There's more lateral movement in the left hand than the right hand with that. The, the left hand's doing all the work there. The right hand's just keeping, just playing the crotches, the the, the quarter notes, and just guiding. The left hand's doing all the action, you know. Um, if we're playing like a generic swing thing. We've got this idea of the left hand is playing this circle and the right hand is playing swing time. And the right hand here, four to one, two to three, four to one. There's a bit more weight. And I'm playing a very generic kind of straight ahead sort of swing thing. There's a bit more weight on the two and the four. But the lateral motion involved in that is just 
it's more about the sort of quarter note arm motion, which I don't tend to play with when I'm playing at sort of swing at this tempos. So the actual, the tip of the brush is just playing as if I'd be playing with a stick, you know. I'm not doing anything like that with the hand, but I could do if I chose to. The left hand, he's playing circle. And the circle, hopefully you can hear that. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, is what I sort of call the, the crescent circle. So that the sort of uh, each crotchet in the bar, each quarter note in the bar, one, two, three, four, is half of the circle. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. I'm exaggerating it a little bit there, but... Um, but that's a that's a good place to start. Is just to take the brush, put it on a surface that makes some kind of sound. It's useful. Just has some kind of abrasive, abrasive uh, like an abrasive surface that makes a noise, like that. That's my kind of nails against this little this drum pad that I've got here. That's the brush on the pad. Now it's a little bit quieter in the middle because I've been playing sticks on it and quite a lot of the sort of the, the abrasion on the head has worn away, but on the outside, there's loads of, of, uh, of the original kind of coating left. One, two, three, four, one. So anyway, I can really exaggerate the point. But I'd just spend some time experimenting with that sound. I would then spend some time experimenting with the opposite of that, almost like not tying the circle into any time frame. And I've heard great drummers uh, like Peter Erskine talking about this concept. And uh, I found this really challenging at first because I thought you always play the circle in some kind of time frame. That's my belief, you know. That's what I was kind of brought to do and everybody was doing and I was hearing people doing that and I thought that's what people do. And then um, I've seen Peter Erskine talk about brushes I think even on a drum, a recent-ish Drumeo lesson, which is maybe four, three or four years old now, uh, but it's certainly in the last five years, you know. And, uh, you know, I've been listening to Erskine since I was 14, you know, 13 or 14. And um, he's a great brush, really beautiful brush player. Um, we'll talk about his, his left-hand circles <coughs> are different than mine in relation to lots of things. One of them is the direction, <clears throat> because I'm a I'm a hugger, which means I play clockwise in my left hand. My left hand plays. I think of it from three o'clock to three o'clock, but I'm my my circles are hugging there. They are they are pulling things towards me, and uh, Erskine's thing, from what I've observed on many videos and things he's talked about, is he's a swimmer. He, he he's his left hand motion is anti-clockwise and um, it's a really fascinating thing because I never considered when I was younger because I'd never really seen anybody really good play the brushes I'd never thought that you could play you know anti-clockwise it always felt to me like 
the, the right the right hand played anti-clockwise and the left hand played clockwise and if we if we do like an even based lateral motion thing like I'm doing here two and four and one and two and three that feels right to me and the, the left hand is the left one is clockwise and the right hand is anti-clockwise so it's a really really um it's a really, really fascinating thing that <coughs> that the uh, that had always had this thing that the left hand must be must be clockwise. And then I saw Erskine play years and years and years ago, and he was playing. He was playing anti-clockwise, and he yeah he calls it uh, the, he calls it the swimmer, and a lot of people do. I, I think of it the same way as you kind of swim in like you know like a sort of breaststroke sort of thing, whereas the other one is 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 the kind of hugger thing where you, you're bringing things in towards you. And, um, yeah, it's... it's uh, but you can you can do these circles. So there's my time frame. I'm just sort of tapping on my leg there. And you, as you can probably hear from that, the circles are random. It's just like randomness. Um, or you can think of it as just being expressive. You know, you're not tying yourself in to a... You're not tying yourself into a circular pattern. That's that's sort of playing sort of swing time there. But the left hand, I'm I'm playing just randomly. I'm playing still playing in a circle, but the circle has not got a definitive start and end point. Whereas the opposite of this. Now you can probably hear. That's crotchet circles, quarter note circles. I'm playing three o'clock, three o'clock, three o'clock, whole circle for each beat of the bar, um, which I play up to certain tempos. I also play like that in ballads. I play um, crotchets or quarter note circles uh, in the ballads. Uh, I always, by the way, I always do the crotchet or the quarter note thing because I realise that we do have, I hope, an international audience. So uh, I am from the European classical tradition, as you probably know, because I'm English. And I studied theory in the classical tradition, the European classical tradition. I learned crotchets, quavers, semiquavers, minims, briefs, etc., etc. Um, but uh, there's also a huge part of the world which lives in the eighth quarter, half note, etc., um, way of describing subdivision. So I just generally talk in both. It's easiest. And, um, yeah, and hope, so hopefully everyone understands me. For those who aren't of the European classical tradition, yeah, I, I'll always talk about quarter notes, eighth note, eighth note, triplets, etc. Um, occasionally I might forget. Uh, my default is sixteenths, you know, eighths, crotches, all that kind of... So I'll normally talk about 16th notes and not semiquavers. Um, 
but I'll always normally say crotchets for, for quarter notes. It's like a funny, <laughs> it's just a funny thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. Quavers or eighth notes is a kind of, uh, is an even thing. Sometimes it's quavers, sometimes it's eighth notes, but I'll always try and say both things. So, yeah. But the thing with the, so the thing with the left hand is deciding what approach you're going to have to the lateral motion of of of, of the accom the accompanying hand I should say so if you if you're left-handed if you're playing uh the right hand's playing the accompanying um then again it's choosing which hand uh which which way to play with that hand so uh, and I'm right-handed so I I will sort of default to talking about the left hand circles but it's it's whichever the 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 comp the, the comping hand or the accompanying hand um, now the reason why I like to have the the accompanying hand in time in the circles is because of things like that so. And two, and two, and three, and four, and one. So the ands of one and three, I quite like emphasizing them in swing as well. But it's sort of, uh, it's got a bit of like a, maybe even a jump jivey kind of sound. I don't know. But it's, or maybe even a bluesy sort of thing. A lot of that kind of music, 50s music, the sort of, sort of free rock and rolly, jump jive kind of stuff had that. That shuffle in it, as you were getting the you were getting the skip beats on every beat, you know, and uh, I tend to do that with the accompanying hand. So I always like to do that from from actually from twelve o'clock. For getting quite nerdy about it, it's normally that swish comes from twelve back down to three o'clock. Um, so. Yeah, I tend to sort of think about things in that way. So that's why I like to play my left hand, my accompanying hand. I like the crotchet circles, the quarter note circles, or the the minim circles, you know, the half, the um, one half of the circle per crotchet um, or quarter note. I like them to be in time. That's my that's my kind of take on it. It makes, it makes my life a lot easier in relation to being organised in my head, you know. But not all the styles I play with brushes are, are swing styles, you know. So the Latin stuff, um, like this kind of... It's got straighter playing. Um, leads me to like playing more where where both hands are playing more laterally than with the swing thing where where the right hand is playing the right hand's playing the vertical kind of motion in Latin. The, the right hand and the left hand are playing both laterally and vertically. 
and there's a kind of like an even distribution of work I think about it you know um, and I, I really like playing brushes in that way but I got better at kind of playing those sort of styles by actually playing more pop based music playing with brushes playing groove based music mm. And I was, I like the way Steve Gadd plays brushes, you know. Steve Gadd can do whole gigs. He never plays a pair of sticks once, you know. Um, he's got amazing groove with brushes. He's got great sound. He really gets into that. One of my favourite things with brushes. And you've got to have gum, rubber gum sort of type brushes, I think, to really get the best sound out of this. I don't, I don't do any product placement stuff on here at all. Um, I'm not affiliated to any companies, drum-wise. Uh, the only company I'm affiliated to uh, in relation to drum skins is Daddario Evans. I have a, a relationship as an educator with, uh, with Evans and Daddario UK and uh, the people up there been very kind to me over the years uh and uh you know i use evans heads and stuff and there's other products linked to um to dario which is like promark um, but i don't play promark sticks or brushes because i haven't found a stick or a brush that is as close to the ones that i you know generally favor um i've always since they came out i've always played the peter erskine original stick the one with the with the small ball tip. Uh, I like an end heavy stick, so uh, not to go off too much of a tangent here with that. But I like a stick that's got that's got end weight. I don't like the weight in the hand. I like the end. I like it to taper off late. And um, I like playing with the with the fat end, with the butt end of the stick, with the left hand. You know, if I'm playing match or traditional, you know. Uh, quite happy to play with it with a heavy end of the stick I, li I like the stick to do the work i like things to be you know i like there to be just to like be able to put the weight in and let the stick do the work because the weight you know the sound is going to come from the weight it's going to come from the stick if you're if you're really really pushing the stick from from the hand and the forearm and stuff i, I don't know i think and then you've got more chance of choking the drums than them ringing you know whereas if you're letting the stick do the work you know, but everyone has different ways in which they feel like they can make that happen. So some people like like the weight in the hand and then they can get the get the sound out the stick by by dropping it in a different way or, or, or throwing it in a different way or whatever. Um but for me I just prefer that that end heavy thing. And then with brushes, uh, it's it's been the regal tip. The green ones, I can't remember what the name of them is. I've got, a, I think I've got a thing around me somewhere. The three, three, five, three, six, five, or something. I can't remember. R three, six, five, or something. Oh, this is embarrassing. I should really know the name of the brushes that I've used for at least 25 years, but I haven't got a clue. Uh, but it's the Regal Tip ones that I use. Anyway, I'm not affiliated to Regal Tip in any way. Um, but they are the products I use because they, for me, have the best handles. So I like the I like the brushes as well the wires, um, but it's the handles for me. And the thing I like about the handle is this sound. 
um, and you can get it right, left hand, and it's the end of the gum. So uh, the gum flattens out, and then you've just got this lovely, you just drop the brush in, you've got this lovely weighty, it's like a perfect weight, that basically gives you loads of bottom end, and uh, is that other sound world. You just can't get out of a stick. That's that sound is unique for me to to the brushes and to gum handle brushes. And actually, for me, it's Regal Tip. I don't even I, I I've not got that sound out of uh, the Promark stuff, out of the Vic Firth stuff. Uh, other drum companies apply. They um, I don't know <laughs> which other. I've never really played any other companies kind of brushes. Um, I think if you're in America you get a lot more choice I think so I think a lot of what I'm saying is probably irrelevant to our, my American friends because I think that it's so like if I go online and look at bass drum beaters you know we have if you want to get a fluffy beater in the UK you've got the DW one with that little thing you can put over the top of it it's got a little, little fluffy hat you can put on a wooden beater which I use a lot I like that one I don't like the, the fluffy hat but I like the wooden beater You've got the Vater Bomber, uh, which is great bass drum beater. And then uh, there's another one, which I've got as well. I can't remember who makes it. But you've got so little choice. And if I go on to any American kind of drum shop website, there's like Lamb's Wall, beautiful bass drum beaters. Uh, you just... You know, they're you know they're just you have so much choice over there, and it's the same with brushes. It's the same with snare wires. You know, we don't get the snare wires over here that you can get the choices that you can get over there. Um, but I'm lucky because Pure Sound are kind of linked to Daddario, so um, I I tend to use their brushes if I'm re you know if I'm reconditioning a snare drum. Um, I'll pretty much always use those those snares um even my, my my black beauty my six and a half um i took the originals off and put on some of those because they sound great you know so uh, i've just reconditioned a pearl snare a brass snare recently again pure sounds so the only drum i've not touched um is the craviotto because i think it, it has them on anyway it's got a, a brand of them on anyway um, but I've, that that drum, the only thing that's been changed with that drum is the head, the, the main head, because um, they wore out, you know. And uh, so I use a, um, I use this Evans Strata 1000 head at the moment. She's like a bit of a classical head, but it's a really nice, sensitive head, and it's really nice for brushes, because the surface just doesn't wear. And it's one of the nice things about Evans heads generally, you know. Um, uh, it's just that that thing with the the, the surfaces tend to um, to wear quite a lot slower than other other brands, and so when you're playing with brushes, I've I've always noticed a sort of you know there's generally a bit more consistency, but you know that's um, that's just my personal experience. Um, you know, other drum companies, other heads are nice as well, and uh, they have different characteristics. <clears throat> that's one of the reasons why I kind of like the gum handle brushes really because you can get this low end sound out the drum and a lot of the sort of groove based music 
that I um, was recording kind of about six or eight years ago. I kind of was being asked uh, by some artists to, to kind of work with them because they were looking for this uh, this sound. And I'd, I'd been listening to quite a lot of um, music that had this sort of lateral brush groove playing in it. Um, and I was kind of trying to transcribe or work out what these players were doing, you know. And and then I kind of ended up, people sort of heard me playing in this way and then I ended up getting kind of getting asked, you know, to record and work with, with these artists um, <clears throat> because that sound world was kind of closer to the music that they were trying to produce than um, than anything that could be played with sticks, you know, or even with hot rods and stuff, because because you've got this this kind of lateral motion thing. It, it again, it generates this completely different way of of saying where a beat begins and where it ends, you know. You know, just that idea of like, okay, three, four, one, two, three, four, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. You can have more of a, like a stronger beginning and then a softer end or a or a stronger end, softer beginnings, or, or where you can sort of end it with a little kind of articulation. Um, and this is this was connected for, for me to an area of brushes um, which fascinated me for years was playing ballads, jazz ballads. Um, and I got from I used to basically play ballads with this kind of like this so this quarter note crotchet circle for um, one, two, three, four, and then the right hand would would go under and over. Do, do, do. You know, like this, like that, like body and souls and sort of ballad. Apologies for the hideous singing, but it's kind of just a way of simulating where things sit within a melodic, uh, melodic sort of frame, time frame. You know, and as I as I as I sort of develop my brush playing. Um, my, I don't think my playing was quite as consistent as that maybe 20 years ago. And uh, I got really into playing...
playing all kinds of sounds. I've got some hi-hats over here. I've been doing things like, you know, like all these kind of little zingy sounds and playing lots of expressive sort of lateral little sounds on the brush, on the, on the snare, on the cymbals and <clears throat> everywhere. And the thing that was getting lost a lot of the time was the time. And uh, I sort of noticed that a lot of the time when I was playing ballads with people, the, 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 the time was slowing down, which is like a disaster, you know. Um, and I realised that my kind of priorities, had, I'd lost sight of my priorities in the music, you know. Uh, I was sacrificing the fundamentals of time and consistency of time for self-expression. And um, probably uh, for ego, probably. Um, there was probably something egotistical about it. Um, it had become more important for me to express my kind of uh, my uh, my lateral abilities and my my the way I could express myself with the brushes than than playing in time. And uh, it definitely that thing has definitely been corrected these days. You know, um, I feel like. My kind of brush playing in the in slower tempo music is more fastidious. You know, I feel like I'm I'm um, more consistent. I've got a definite approach now, and uh, and it's basically this idea of four round one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So. The left hand, my accompanying hand, is the guide, you know. I've got two different subdivisions that I use. Is this one. And... back to the triplet one one's a triplet and one's like a semi-quaver um or, or um, 16th note feel one e and a two e and a or triple triple sort of thing so they kind of underpin what's going on and most of that is driven by how somebody's phrasing the melody or how uh, other people are accompanying the melody if I'm playing with a, a jazz quartet with saxophone who is playing the tune, how they phrase the tune and how the bass, uh, sorry, how the guitarist or the piano player who's accompanying them harmonically with chords, how they are placing the chords dictates which left hand pattern I, I stick to. There's a, definitely a triplet, like a 1280 based feel in the music. I will use the triplet one obviously. Uh, if there's more of a straight feeling in a ballad, which a lot of people do play ballads a bit straighter, I'll use the the 16th note or the semi-quaver division one, you know. Um, and then the right hand follows that. The right hand follows the lead there. And the lead is definitely, for me, the, the accompanying hand, you know. And, and it's because I'm following the lead of the accompanist within the music, within the rest of the group, you know. 
uh, and they're making a decision based upon how the um, how the person who's playing the tune is playing the melody, or the singers singing the melody. You know, uh, I listen to Keith Jarrett, Keith Jarrett Trio a lot there with, with Dijonette and Peacock, which I've talked about in other episodes. And uh, Jarrett has an amazing way of playing the melody within ballads. The the beauty, the simplicity and the placement of his ballad playing is second to none, you know. The, it's really, really amazing the way he makes a ballad sing from the piano, you know. But it's, it's not just the tonal quality of it, uh, it's the placement of the melody and the way in which he, way, where the melody sits, you know. And the way Dijonette and Peacock accompany him um, is amazing. And this was where I kind of got a little bit of the wrong end of the stick in relation to expressing myself because the, the thing that never suffers with, with, with that trio is the time. <laughs> you know, whatever's going on, however expressive all three of them are being with, with their interaction within the, um, within the form and, and the melody, the time never suffers, you know. You really, really do stay on top of that. Um, so it's a really fascinating thing. So just to kind of conclude really here, um, there's lots to talk about, and uh, I feel like I haven't got through even half of it, but I realise this has been going on a while. I've been trying really hard to make these last... Um, 45-ish, 50 minutes. Um, and I think sort of the bulk of the information is is that. There's, is the intro bits, talking about all the bits and bobs, is maybe going on a little bit longer than, than I'd originally planned, but that's okay. Um, I think it's uh, nice for things to just have the natural length they have. You know, you talk about a subject, you uh, get into things that are kind of unfolding in the moment. You know, there's an improvisational nature to all of this it's not scripted in any way um basically use a few bullet points that are just reminders really but i i you know as ever go off on one in, in relation to the subject matter and stuff so yeah but the the conclusion really is you could be a drummer that's never played with brushes for different reasons one because there's no there's no need which is perfectly valid. Um, if you're playing music that doesn't require brushes, one will never play with brushes, and that's absolutely fine. I don't even really know why when I was young I was this kind of expectation that one had to play with brushes, but I was really grateful that there was because I ended up playing lots and lots of music that required brushes. You know, it was, a, a, you know, improvised music or jazz or whatever. Uh, it's part of... The music I played that had brushes, but it's not exclusive of that at all. In the last in the last five or six years, quite a lot of the music I've played, um, I've played with brushes that's got nothing to do with jazz. I mean, an artist I work with, Tom McRae, a brilliant British uh, singer, songwriter, uh, artist. Uh, his music, a lot of the music that I've played for him, especially on like, the last album we recorded... Um, the brushes are featured on the album in really interesting ways, you know, very quite dark ways and, and quite bright ways. But um, 
when I've worked with Tom has a very strong idea about about um, drums. You know, not just about um, patterns, about architecture of parts. You know, and about the kind of sentiment behind the parts and the um, like, the vulnerability of parts. Very, very. I've learned so much working with him. Coming from, so you've got this kind of dichotomy of we study and we 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 aim to be um, super pro. I call it. It's a kind of double-edged. Um, phrase I normally use that phrase it's a little bit of sarcasm in that phrase um, but some of it has some truth is that you know we kind of have this thing of the, the, the session world everyone's got to be perfect and there's this kind of like you know almost athleticism with being you know um, of being super pro in the studio and everything's like you know epic and amazing and whatever and and that's that can be true, but in ways that we we genuinely don't understand or don't realise. You know, things can be epic and amazing when they're on the edge of disaster. You know, when a take has things in it which has imperfections, which tell a completely different story. And and I I love working in the studio um, with Tom and with that and with that band, that configuration of people specifically, like Ollie and Rich and Brian and um, and, Ol- and, and, and Ollie as well, um, Kraus, uh, cellist, um, who I've not worked so much with in the studio, we've done a lot of live work together, but the the, the kind of core, the band that we, when we recorded the album together, um, the way in which people hear um, drum parts and their kind of energy, you know, and what the the story that they tell, the the kind of the underscore of the song, you know, because the song the song itself is the story, and, and the, the the melody and the lyrics are ki- always they're always king and queen and country and everything. They're in charge of the whole vibe, you know, and what you're trying to do is serve it, really, really serve it, and not distract from it in any way, you know. And uh, I've learned a lot from working. Um, with um yeah with tom and and ollie and rich you know a lot from working with those those guys because they have a great sense of song they have a great sense of the purpose of parts you know and and i i kind of i love being able to uh, serve them and the music in that way uh, i don't i don't think i'm somebody i don't feel particularly stronger that I'm someone that comes up with you know idea after idea after idea being constantly constantly having amazing ideas and parts and things um I think my playing is pretty straightforward and quite boring in some ways um uh but again you know we're always bored of ourselves aren't we always listen to the grass is always greener you know so I take that that kind of feeling of myself as a little bit of a pinch of salt but um but I love working with you know, with artists that have a really strong sense of of when a take has the right character for the song, because it's often quite surprising, you know. And I've done a lot of stuff with brushes. One of the interesting things with when working with Tom was that he liked for live playing uh, the the nylon brush thing um, was was cutting it more, you know, for certain songs. If you're playing like a sort of 
like a train song kind of vibe. It's that kind of, you know, the wire brush thing would always be my default. But live, when you're actually playing, you know, quite a big stage and big room and you're trying to cut, actually the, the nylon brush thing uh, can work more. And then it was like, I remember listening back to Dijonette, you know, um, in the 80s and stuff, and and he was playing with, a lot of the time, with nylon brushes with Jarrett, you know, and you listen to those tunes and we just make this assumption that it's, yeah, the wire brushes and it's, it's the classic brush thing. And he's playing with these nylon brushes, you know. And part of that must have been about projection and sort of consistency of projection, you know. Maybe it was just a simple thing of he just preferred that sound and it, it maybe it probably was that. But um, when you're kind of slightly reliant upon a PA, upon being amplified and projected, you might need to think about brushes differently, you know, and I certainly have because a lot of my experience from playing brushes was with acoustic trios, you know, and self, you know, this thing of self-leveling. So you have your own internal balance of the instrument, which should sound like one instrument, and then you've got the sound within the sound. You know, how do I sound within the bigger sound? The bigger sound is the whole band, the whole, the whole, the thing that people are listening to, the whole sound, you know. And sometimes, like I play, I play brushes in big band, and uh, you sometimes wonder, like, can anybody hear anything that I'm playing? And and they can because, you know, people tend to, you know, they listen to what they're being presented with. They sort of they sort of tune in. Um, but maybe a slightly, if you if you check out Jeff Hamilton's brushes, you know, Jeff Hamilton has a signature brush with Regal Tip. I'm not sponsored by Regal Tip again. Just it's just a coincidence of uh, the subject. But you check out his brushes, they've got a thicker wire. They're like loud brushes. I can't play with them. I, I bought them because I thought, oh, these look cool. And uh, I just like, I couldn't get on with them at all, you know. Felt like I was going to stab myself all the time um, and uh, destroy my drum skins. But you watch him play, it's like majestic, you know. And you watch Dijonette play and it's majestic and it's with the nylon brush. So, you know, experiment with different types of brushes is, is what I'd say. If you're kind of getting into brushes... If you're wanting to get into brushes, uh, if you're a drummer that kind of thinks that you, you know, uh, are not sure what you're doing with brushes, I would get a lesson with somebody who you respect and you've heard and plays and plays nice brushes. You might only need one lesson because for the way in which you're playing, just that one checking in, that one hour or two hours of time checking in, confirming what you're doing is working. Uh, just sharing that time with somebody, having the conversation might be enough. If you're wanting to get really serious about playing brushes, you need to study. And there's, you know, that's a simple thing is, is we we need to study. And, you know, I, I would recommend listening to Vernon Fournier. I'd recommend Thick Pen. I'd recommend um, Lewis Nash. He's a fantastic brush player. Um, one of the greatest... I think living brush players is Adam Nussbaum, a drummer that maybe a lot of people don't are not listening to, um, you know, that haven't heard, or maybe don't listen to. He's not is uh, a more not a contemporary drummer. Um, he's an amazing brush player, amazing emotion and sound and swing. It's he's like incredible, you know. 
Um, Brian Blade, you know, people say it's an obvious choice. Blade is so amazing, but his brush playing is is really um, beautiful. His, his vertical and his lateral playing, you know, the, the way in which he gets art, the way in which he articulates and gets sound out of the drums with brushes is is great. You know, it's really, really worth checking out. You know, Bill Stewart's a great brush player. I mean, there's so many, you know, I could just go on and on and on, you know. Um, Dijonette, I love the way Dijonette plays brushes, especially ballads, especially the way he uses hi-hats with brushes. So just some recommendations for listening there. Um, and, yeah, so definitely if you want to get in serious about brushes and really really get into kind of the the big the big sound world of it all you need to study you need to get some good information um i think that the there's a lot of these diagrams that you can find like thigpen's book the sound of brushes and uh and there's a there's the philly joe papa joe philly joe jones book i think i can't remember the name of it lots of these books have these diagrams anyway and the diagrams can be really really bemusing and confusing you know so um i think john riley's out of bop drumming i think there's some diagrams in those books or beyond bop drumming yeah it's it, the, the thing with diagrams is deciphering them you know you you, can, you do get used to you know uh working out what's going on with diagrams but i think it's easier to actually spend some time with a person, sit down next to them. I do it with my students at college, you know, I get a floor, I get the floor tom off the kit and they're on a snare and we sit in front of each other and just talk about lateral motion. Just like, you know, I'll just watch the way that they're, they're moving the brush around the head and uh, just talk about points to aim for within circles and different things. And it's just that thing of sitting down with somebody and then a lot of time people video when I'm playing brushes in lessons, they video what I'm doing because they want they video it from behind my shoulder so they can kind of see it, you know. Um that can be really helpful. There's loads of stuff on YouTube, obviously. Uh but the thing the problem with YouTube, and this is the only problem with it, is that you can't stop somebody, can you, and say, Hold on a sec, can we just talk about that and have a, an an actual interaction? You know, I mean, there's so much of this social media thing going on where, you know, everyone thinks that everything's on social media, everything's on YouTube. But the one thing that isn't is is stopping and having an interaction, having a conversation, having a moment with somebody just to say, what, what are you doing there? How are you, what are you thinking about when you're doing that? You can't do that. You, you don't have the choices to do that online. So, you know, maybe that's something to think about. You can't do everything off YouTube, you know. But there is loads of stuff out there and loads of really helpful stuff, some great information. I mean, that Drumeo one with Erskine's, I really recommend that, you know. Um, there's a there's a brilliant... There's a, a DVD, which I thought I had here, actually, but I don't have any of them, my DVDs here. I must have put them all away. That Adam Nussbaum and Steve Smith uh, made. Uh, it's called, I think, The World of Brushes or something. Uh, it's amazing because he's got some amazing players on that that video and there's some great information on that video and again these are all these are all tools they're all things that are additions they're all uh, places where we can get information but really having someone you 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 like the way they play brushes you like the way they play music being able to sit down with them spend an hour or two hours or go and see them weekly or monthly is really the way to go because you can have those conversations in the moment and have that interaction in the moment. 
and it's really important i think that uh, that you have the the option to do that so brilliant i'm going to finish now so yeah thanks for listening and um i'll uh, see you again soon bye for now <laughs>